everyone. It's your host, Polly Siegel. And for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, certified addiction specialist, and master level trained mindfulness practitioner. I own a counseling practice in both Colorado and Illinois, and I specialize in trauma, OCD, and anxiety. If you live in either of those two states, feel free to reach out to me for a consultation and we can begin the therapeutic journey together. Now on to the good shit. Welcome to season three of Shit Talking Shrinks. Gosh, I'm so excited. I will be featuring experts in the healing space and we're discussing a variety of mental health topics, the human experience, and society at large while creating levity along the way. Get ready to laugh, learn a lot, and change your life for good. This episode is sponsored by Joyous. Okay, I have to tell you about this incredible company, Joyous. It's an at-home ketamine treatment that delivers ketamine to your door for $129 a month, which is absolutely unheard of because most ketamine treatment is hella expensive. And what ketamine does is it helps our prefrontal cortex work more optimally. And the prefrontal cortex helps with decision-making, problem-solving, emotional regulation. It's the part of the brain that gets us through hard shit. And so if you're someone who has struggled with anxiety and depression and you've tried antidepressants or you've tried mood stabilizers and they haven't helped, ketamine is absolutely the next step. And I have seen my clients thrive while using ketamine. Joyous makes it super easy to access this life-changing medicine. And you can start the process by visiting www.joyous.team. You guys, you got to get on it and try it. Trust me, you won't look back. Hello, everyone. We have another fabulous episode today talking about a issue that I think is so personal to so many different people. And I want to first, before we jump into it, introduce my fabulous guest, Sarah Kambada. She's a leadership and life coach specializing in women, helping them overcome imposter syndrome. And so I think honestly, you know, as we're, we're going through imposter syndrome, I don't necessarily want it just to be specific to our women listeners, but also our male listeners too. Everyone struggles with imposter syndrome. And it's not just one particular gender, but really all of us feel sometimes inferior or inadequate or less than. So yeah. If we could start off, what is imposter syndrome? Yeah, absolutely. And everyone does experience this. And especially people who are in typically marginalized groups. Imposter syndrome, I would say it's characterized by the feeling of fraudulence or self-doubt. It's a feeling of fraudulence or self-doubt. And this is usually despite actual accomplishments and achievements and success. So the earmarks are usually people who are overachievers and already have accomplishments and success. Interesting. Okay, so I love that. Part of this definition is really it's this feeling, it's this internal experience that doesn't have anything to do with your accomplishments or success or your performance. In fact, it has nothing to do with accomplishment, but more not feeling like you are authentically representing yourself. Yes. And usually there may have been some situation, there may be some internalized belief, like say if you are a man who's of Indian descent, I'm making stuff up here, but so say you're a man of Indian descent, you may have internalized that, you know, people feel this way about Indian men. 
And so I should be maybe more polite. I should be more this or that and maybe not so forward and not so proud or confident because that may offend people. Interesting. So really, a lot of our internalized imposter syndrome might come from different cultural exposure that we've gone through or cultural nuances. This is such a powerful moment, I think, because a lot of us are breaking out of those norms and those beliefs and those social customs. And so even with cultures that are thousands of years old and have been comporting themselves a certain way, we're all having a bigger discussion. And that's one of the reasons I love this topic. So it's not only for the individual, but it's to help society also grow and change around our story about women, our story about people, and our story about accepting ourselves. Yeah, that's beautiful, Sarah. I think what's so interesting about the definition you provided is feeling fraudulent. Can you expand on that? Because that's a really powerful word. Yeah. So it's sort of the Achilles heel of having accomplishments or having achievements. So somebody could be, uh, say, like a manager or VP or whatever, an executive. They could do an excellent job presenting to, say, the executive team something that is really important for their company. And then they get out of the meeting and just feel like this doubt, this doubt of, you know, how did I do or this feeling that even if it did go well, that somebody will think that I'm a fraud, that somebody will discover that it wasn't actually good. So it's really this almost like blind sabotage. So this belief of like, I can't possibly show up and be powerful. I can't possibly have been this good. You know, even people who go to these, you know, great schools and, you know, have really all the accolades. There's just this feeling of being a fraud, like it can't really be this good. I can't really be this smart. You know, even if people are saying, what an amazing presentation, what a great meeting. There were so many helpful points. Your data was so lined up, all of that. Just this feeling of fraudulence or doubt. Yeah. And I think what's really fascinating is, and maybe it's just fascinating to me, but I have to wonder if whether our listeners find this pretty cool too. I find that it's coming up a lot with very accomplished people, people that anyone would look at their track record or look at their history or look at their performance or success and be like, holy fucking shit, like you are a badass. You would think like that person can't possibly feel imposter syndrome because look at what they do. They have so much status. They have so much expertise, so much skill. You know, when you say that, I'm like going back through my mind of all of these conversations I have in my clinical practice. And I'm like, yeah, the people that feel like a fraud are the people that I'm very impressed by. That's right. That's why it's an earmark for me. If they're successful and they have a high level either at, you know, some of their achievements, and it doesn't necessarily mean in corporate America, it could be an actor. You know, Michelle Obama has talked about having imposter syndrome. I mean, so many famous actors and so many famous people have talked about having imposter syndrome. And it's almost like, you know, taking care of the fear that other people will doubt us. And so we're going to do it first. And also, it's just, how can it be this good for me? How can I be this smart that comes up? And it's always, for me, all of my clients, they are so such high achievers. It just hasn't been reflected on yet also. And sometimes that's why coaching and probably therapy is so helpful too. It's a moment to reflect on it and say like, let's go into this cave or let's go into this and shine some light around what's been going on. Like, what's the story here? 
And then we hear those messages of like, I, you know, if I'm a woman and I walk into a room and I'm confident, I'll piss somebody off. If I'm a woman and I speak up and say my real thoughts here in this, this meeting or in this family, I will be seen as a, you know, a bitch, a shrew, a hard ass, you know, somebody who's not caring and loving. And so it doesn't fit into the social paradigm. And so therefore, I'm just going to make it easy and, you know, silence up. Yeah, no, I, I think that that really resonates. I don't feel when I think of my story and my journey, I don't think I struggle with imposter syndrome chronically. However, when I started this podcast, now in reflection, so this is, this is like a light bulb moment that I'm having with you. I remember I landed an interview with Stan Tatkin. And if you're not familiar who he is, he's the founder of the PACT Institute, a very well-known modality that helps couples. He's very impressive. And I remember getting the email from his team saying like, yeah, yeah, Stan would like to be on Shit Talking Shrinks. And I was like, what? He wants to like spend time with me? Like I'm a nobody. Like I had that conscious thought, like I am a nobody to this man. And granted, have I been very successful in my life? Absolutely. And I hustle and I grind and I work really hard. And everything I've created is because of a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And I know that inherently. But it was like, there's no like he's out of my league, man. And that was like a moment of imposter syndrome. And I like ruminated on it, like leading up to that interview of like, oh, man, like, I just who am I? Who am I to take this man's time? Yeah. And who are you not? Obviously, there's been so much success that you've had. Something drew him to you. But it's that's right. It's like the slippery black ice if you're from the East Coast or if you're from the cold area, you know, it's like that you don't see it coming. And then all of a sudden, it's like that mysterious thought that says, oh, yeah, who am I to deserve this great conversation or this great accolade? And so I think that's so true that. And so a lot of people, I would say it's not necessarily chronic in terms of just day to day living. It shows up as like having imposter syndrome. But every time they do something, every time we do something that's outside of the comfort zones, that's really visible or really different or that we esteem as being measurable in some way that people could see and say, that's great. That's amazing that she did that interview. To me, that's right on par. So I see it more like every time somebody's up to something big, there's an opportunity there for you know pride. There's an opportunity for fears to come in. And that's a moment for imposter syndrome. But it's a great opportunity too to look at and say, like, what's that about? So would you say, as I'm internalizing what you're saying, it sounds like imposter syndrome loves or really latches on to anything that's high risk or something that could be really powerful, great, bold, and incredible. Like that's where it breeds. That's right. So it's big, good. It's a great opportunity because there could be something that's really scary that's not good. And then that wouldn't be the case. But yeah, every time there's a great opportunity to shine, a great opportunity to prove ourselves to ourselves, our community and society in terms of like to show up and have like scientific proof that I've arrived, you know, that there is like actual, you know, I'm in the Hollywood Reporter, you know, uh, you know, whatever the thing is, that's an opportunity for it to show up. And so to me, right on the other side of that is the greatest opportunity to see what's the story or the shadow or the underside of that. What's the underbelly 
that has hoisted that to the surface. Because it's just, there's a story, there's a fear that's running it that almost like a bubble underwater brings it up to the surface. Yeah, let's go there. So you, the underbelly, the shadow, like the dark side of it. When you think of your clients and the magical work you do, what do you feel are the common drivers or stories that illuminate imposter syndrome? The sentence will be different for every person or the thing that's revealed will be a little bit different for the person. I remember I was coaching someone who was incredibly beautiful. This woman, she was a global leader and she was so incredibly beautiful, but she was doing everything to conceal that fact in ways that she was showing up, not making eye contact or just kind of graying down her shine. And so when I sort of said that, I said, Do you, are you aware of how exquisitely beautiful you are and how it looks like you're actually trying to hide that fact? And yeah, she didn't want to make anyone upset. She didn't want to make anybody mad. So that was an odd one, right? So it's a little bit different. But I would say a lot of them might be like, I'm the only woman on the executive team. I know I'm representing women in the company. I'm representing, you know, or that group or that classification. It could be the same for men. You know, I'm representing men in this female group. There's pressure on themselves to show up as being fabulous for that other group. And so thinking through some of the folks, it's usually like, I didn't realize that I deserve this accolade. I didn't realize that I deserve this. And it's just an awareness. You know, they'll say something like that. It's an awareness I'm having like, oh, I don't need to like gray down. I don't need to hide. I don't need to conceal or make myself suffer, you know, for doing a great job or for getting this guy on this interview or for, you know, being, you know, writing this book or, you know, showing up for this great team that I have. So really, when I hear that, it's like shame, because when we inherently believe we're not deserving of something or we're not worthy of something or we didn't earn it. To me, that's fueled by shame. I would say that's accurate. And to my experience, because I know that sounds pretty therapeutic to some coaching versus therapy and so forth. And I would say it is shame based. And sometimes it's just an, a lack of awareness around that this thing was there. It's astounding to me how little time people have to reflect, you know, how little time people say, like, you know, I'm going to put five minutes on my calendar before every meeting so I can just get conscious. So the old tools aren't running. So the old story isn't running. You know, whatever the paradigm was in the family or the last job or the last startup, you know, or the the last stressful situation. I'm going to give myself five or 10 minutes before every single meeting, you know, so that I can get conscious. So I would say that there is shame there and it's different than maybe therapeutic in terms of it doesn't seem like it's that long to solve it in this situation that they're in. So it's not like they need 10 years of therapy to look at, you know, the depth of it. So you're saying that like it might not be chronic shame within themselves or embedded shame, but it might just be shame that's situationally popping up? It could be situational. And it seems that um, through coaching that they're able to move it to the side, evaporate it, allow it to release from them so that they can show up and be seen and be heard and be who they need to be in their job. It's little by little. It's not like a magic wand sort of experience, right? So through the experience, there's little steps that they take so that they can actualize or prove to themselves 
that they no longer need to hang on to this shame belt, that they don't owe it to anybody, whatever that last situation was, they don't owe it to that startup. I want to take a quick pause to talk about our sponsor, a company called BetterHelp. It's an online therapy platform where all the therapists are licensed and accredited professionals. It's affordable. You pay a low flat fee for therapy with your therapist, and it's convenient. Do it at your own time and at your own pace, and you can communicate with your therapist as much as you want and whenever you feel is needed. And more importantly, it's effective. Thousands of people have benefited from therapy using BetterHelp, and we're really grateful to offer all of our listeners 10% off your first month. So if you're interested in receiving therapy ASAP, click the link in our show notes and you can get started and you get to save money. What are other drivers, would you say? Like when I think about that moment I had prior to my Stan Tatkin episode, which was fabulous, by the way, like, oh, he's brilliant. I think it was also doubt that I was good enough. Do you find that that's a belief that comes up? Like, I'm not good enough. Yes. To me, you know, the not good enough one, right, is usually can be met with some sort of preparation or some sort of conversation. It's not like as deep as the shame kind of conversation. It's not a story about who a person is. It's more like what I can do. So it's about someone's capabilities. Yes, it's about the capabilities. And if, you know, if you reflected for 10 minutes, you'd probably be like, oh, right, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. And I absolutely can do this. I just want to be a little bit more conscious and whatever your tools are, you know, and through talking that through, we would find what your tools are and could be for getting set up so that you believe, you know, so that the person believes that they are absolutely capable. Because it usually comes down to a couple of variables for people to feel that they are capable before going into a thing. So that's like, I would say the majority of people. There are some people who it is very challenging. And I would say a large part of this is speaking up. This is one that's come back again and again through time. You know, speaking up to the executive team, speaking up to people who are deemed more important. And so we take baby steps, you know, because that's like walking in and then discovering that there's capability there. And through the actions, it becomes aware to the person. They become aware that they are absolutely capable. And it almost sounds like part of the internal experience of imposter syndrome is this belief that that they're going to be discovered as inadequate by others. Yes, absolutely. There's a part of the shame that other people are going to actually like point and giggle or point it out, you know, going to point it out that there's not capability or there's lack of deserving. There's some level of the fear that it's going to be pointed out in front of everyone, which is shame, you know, the fear that that's going to happen. If we had a situation, you know, and we said, well, where has that happened? Like, for example, I've said this a couple of times on this call for some reason, so I might as well use it as an example, like the startup situation. A couple of these startups, they work such long hours and it's kind of brutal tactics that are used to get them to do stuff. And so, there's some conversations around what happened before and the feeling of being isolated. You know, I was number six in the company and that is, has a whole bunch of weight on it. You know, I was number seven, I was number 14 and, you know, and it's like a badge of honor. And so everything that they've been doing has been to 
preserve that level of esteem and also the length of hours. And, you know, so working like 18 hours a day or whatever it is, like over a period of seven years or something like that, which I hear a lot, people working these like crazy long hours, the ability to have reflection time, to have consciousness and to flip outside of like these old stories becomes very challenging. And so when going into a new situation, if they get busy or if they get challenged, they go right back to who they were being back then, which was, you know, fight, flight or freeze. Basically, when you're working 18 hours a day and, you know, not eating and taking meetings all day long, I think it's, you know, a lot of people will go into fight or flight or freeze. Do you feel like that maybe the driver to working 18 hour days, again, startups are their own beasts, but is it because there's this desire to want to prove yourself? Because if you prove yourself, then you can not have to experience imposter syndrome. That's right. It's like a hamster wheel, being on the hamster wheel. You know, I feel this fear, so therefore I'm going to run faster. But the running faster creates more fear. So when we can have people start saying no to stuff, you know, it can be really challenging to say no. Oh, no, I don't work on weekends or no, I can't work on weekends or, you know, I have to take my kids somewhere. It can be so life or death challenging to be able to speak up for oneself. But then that's where freedom comes in. The ability to have a voice and self-advocate is where, you know, the freedom to deserve who we are and to deserve our accolades and to deserve to be alive and to be professional and, you know, confident. Yeah. So having boundaries and saying no against things that are impugning on who we are free, you know, our freedom is. You know, when we can say no to those things, we're saying yes to ourselves. And so therefore, there's like that voice gives life to the person's purpose and passion and, you know, life force in a way. Saying no to what needs to be said no to is saying yes to ourselves. How do you begin to, because again, I'm as I'm synthesizing all of this, it's a imposter syndrome is a belief that you're going to get discovered as fraudulent or you're going to be discovered as not good enough or you're going to be discovered as not capable or not having the adequate skill set. How do you begin to challenge that where you start yes. to inherently believe that you are capable, that you are worthy, that you are deserving? What's the process of even tackling that? Yeah, but it's so true. Like, how the F do I do that? How the fuck do I do this? You know, how am I going to get better? You know, because it seems like this wall of, you know, something. And so firstly, it's writing down and becoming conscious of what have you done in your life that's been, would you say, and maybe not phenomenal because you say phenomenal and they say, oh, nothing I've done is phenomenal because that's the imposter syndrome, right? What have you done that's been good, would you say? And then it's like, oh, well, I know I won the Nobel Peace Prize, you know, I was a straight A student, I, you know, whatever the things are. And there's <laughs> usually these like huge things in that person's storyline where you're like, wow, you know, it's so impressive. Are you hearing that? You know, would you write down what you just said? And it's like these 10 things where you're like, it's shocking. I just like have new respect for you. I didn't know these things. So then they ha start having that reflection on these things and start hearing it. And it starts to have a context where they relate to themselves as other people. Like if somebody walked up to me and said, I won the Nobel Peace Prize and I was a straight A student, and I wrote three books and I would have respect for that person. So having consciousness, it's surprising how little time we have for that. So starting to write them down, to own them and start speaking them out loud. 
I'm big on post-it notes, you know, because people like you're right, you don't have time to refer to a document. So have a post-it note, stick it on your computer, name three things and have it be right up there so that, you know, you can refer to it mentally every day. So first, it's like getting conscious to who a person actually is and maybe conscious aware, becoming aware of who am I? Right. And I would say, like, going back to my example, like, I didn't do that. You know, I think I just kind of plowed through it and was just like, well, we're fucking scheduled. So show up and hope for the best. (laughs) And again, in my humble opinion, it's a super amazing episode. However, I think if I would have slowed down and written in this very conscious, intentional state of like, well, I've experienced or I've accomplished blank and I've done this and I've done that and I've been able to celebrate, here are my wins. It's really acknowledging the wins that you've cultivated, that you've created along the way, because all of us have wins. And I think, you know, it doesn't need to be the Nobel Peace Prize. Like that's like, you know, the 14ers. Yes. Maybe this is a helpful time. Like I struggled with a very severe learning disability throughout my entire life. And I accomplished, you know, a lot academically considering those limitations. And I was told at a very young age by the top psychologist and cognitive tester in Kansas City, like, you would be lucky if you graduated high school. Your scores are so low, you should jump for joy if you graduate. And I mean, I ended up getting my master's and I had a 4.0 GPA. Like, there's so much that I could really lean into if I pause to think about it. Yes. And so, yeah, the command, if as it were, were if you graduate high school, you should jump for joy. I hope you jumped for joy. Well, I'm competitive. I was like, fuck you, motherfucker. Like, we're going way past That's high the school. Other part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that could actually really work for you. You know, it's like these stories that we have can really, really compel us to do great things. And it sounds like you have. And congratulations, too, for having you know, a learning disability and being able to do these things. I know there's many different kinds of learning disabilities. And yeah, so being able to acknowledge that and then also say that everywhere or anywhere you're comfortable gives new hope for other people. And at the same time, you know, it's like I say, I posted on Instagram, like self-advocacy heals. And, you know, so it's saying it on a podcast, saying the truth to, you know, a coworker, a partner, or a boss, or anybody. Self-advocacy heals because it's saying the truth rather than only what we think people want to hear. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay, I'm thirsty for more. What are two more tools if we're trying to tackle imposter syndrome? So to tell somebody else, I'm going to be working on speaking up in a meeting, I'm going to be working on being more authentic. I'm going to be working on exposing that I have trouble with something. So something that I've struggled with, even though I was a trained actress, I have anxiety. And so that is something that I get to say and tell somebody. So I'm going to be working on whatever that new thing is, say it's anxiety, and I'm going to be working on speaking up, speaking on 10 podcasts coming up. And so will you celebrate me? When you see me in the meeting, on the podcast, you know, whatever the thing is, can we have a like a whatever dance party? Can you celebrate me when you see me doing what I'm claiming I will do? Oh, so it's like you reach out to your support system and you're like, hey, I'm going to be brave and courageous to do this, but I need you to celebrate me. Yes. Will you? And then getting the agreement with the other person. So I'm not going to come back to you and ask you, 
I want you to celebrate, you know, would you do that for me with me? And then so at the end of a presentation in a meeting or whatever the thing is, and speaking on podcasts, you know, on stage or being in a movie or those things that are just, they are crossing the edge moments. Will you celebrate me when you see me crossing my edge? I've just announced to you. You know, firstly, it's like getting visibility around the fact that this is a challenge, but I'm doing it anyway. And that's what makes me a warrior person. That's what makes me be, you know, a high achiever. And that's me claiming my next level. You know, so to tell other people, the other one is self-talk, which is at the heart of everything. So being able to say, I like to start every single day with an intention. My intention is to, and you know, people will make these to-do lists that are 74 items long. And that's fine. You know, and I would hope that in there or on the top, there's like a to-be list, you know. So, you know, at the beginning of yoga, everyone kind of knows this. At the beginning of yoga, the yoga teacher will say, what's your intention? My intention is to breathe. That's it. My intention is to breathe or to be here, to be fully on the mat. My intention is not to push myself too hard and pull out my shoulders or, you know, it's an intention for the day. My intention is to believe that I can do this. My intention is to be a stand for myself. My intention is to be my best friend throughout the whole day. And so whatever that intention is, and then in the evening, was I a stand for myself? Was I my best friend? And then we just sort of review the day, like, where was I my best friend? Well, you know, and then, you know, I was kind of rude to that guy at the Starbucks or, you know, something like that. Or I absolutely was my own best friend. And I cheered myself on when I was self-advocating, I cheered myself on, you know, what does that feel like? That feels really freaking good. The story's in here. So let's, you know, start with here. Yeah. And I think what's so interesting is I never thought to set intentions around imposter syndrome. Maybe this is silly to say out loud, but like really in the morning or maybe the night before, I'm sort of a night before kind of person where I like to set the intention for the next day is really being an ally to yourself and reminding yourself of your capabilities, of your skills, of the true ability to soar. Because all of us have the ability to soar. I don't think there's one person on this planet that doesn't have that ability. So if you can set the intention to be like, I'm going to believe in that, or I'm going to try to lean into that. And well, how could that not start to dismantle imposter syndrome? Absolutely. So it's, you know, with imposter syndrome or any other challenge that's related to imposter syndrome. Yeah, it's setting the the intention. I'm going to cross the edge and the edge for me is whatever it is, whatever the, the next thing is, I'm going to become a CEO of my own company. I am going to write a book this summer. When I have vision, you know, do vision work with people, the next level is great, but scary and exciting. We want it to be scary and exciting. Then we know it's real. It's real, you know, because they're really invested in what's scary and exciting. And that's kind of the perfect, you know, juice to compel us to get there. Right. Okay. So let's recap for everyone because there's been tangible tools that have been sprinkled through this entire episode, which I love. Okay. So first is writing out your successes, your wins, your accomplishments, like taking reflective or introspective time to look at look at your data points 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Looking at the data points. And so a lot of people are good at collecting data points for some sort of argument they're making in a job or in a something. So what are the data points to argue for your greatness? And just journaling them down, writing them down, having them everywhere in your wallet, on your phone, on your iPad, whatever. So second recap would be self-talk. So, you know, at the top of the day, having an intention and the bottom of the day, reflecting on that intention. So fighting for your greatness. The other one is having a partner in crime, an ally that you can come back to and have cheer you on because connection heals. You know, connection is so valuable. If you see me doing great, it reminds me to remember that I did great. And so having an ally helps to cross the edge. So those are, I guess, some of the tangibles that we were talking about today. There's so many, but those are the nuggets. Sarah, this is not only applicable to every single person, but I hope that it's been meaningful in the sense that like, you're not alone. Because I think when it comes to imposter syndrome, we, we sometimes forget that that is a common humanity experience. All of us doubt our capabilities. All of us feel like a fraud at different moments. All of us wonder our authenticity or our skills. And so if you've liked this episode, I hope you will share it with other people and really spread the word that you can heal from imposter syndrome. You can start to rewire your brain. You can start to change how you view yourself, others in the world. And yeah, I'm grateful that you joined me today. So thank you. Thank you. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. All right. We'll catch you later. Later. 